Welcome to Reconnect with Plant Wisdom. I'm your host, Tigrila Gardenia, nature-inspired mentor and leadership coach. In this podcast, I share ancient and modern knowledge from biology to spirituality about the wondrous ways in which plants can help you lead a naturally conscious life. Oh, Nandini, I've been waiting to have this discussion with you for a while. Because, you know, if anybody can understand the whole concept of being an invasive species versus a naturalized species, as similar to myself as a, what is it, how do I, how did I put it to you the other day? A twice removed, um, like transplant. <laughs> this is, <laughs> you've got it like I do. So <laughs> you understand this really well. But before we start into this conversation, because I know it's really easy for us to jump. I want you to tell our audience a little bit about you. Who is Nandini Gosain Meru? Okay, well, thank you, Tigria. And first of all, thank you for inviting me to your podcast. Um, so who am I? Well, I am a writer, a freelance writer and ghostwriter. And I have been a member of Tigria's platform, the Naturally Conscious Community, I think, from the very beginning. So I've had a, a wonderful journey with Tigria, helping me to, um, you know, just step into my true being. Um, and that has been a transition from the world of uh, wholesale banking to being a writer, something that I've always had a passion for. Um, so, you know, I do that. And then through, um, you know, the naturally conscious community and Damon her, um, you know, I came across the, um, the music of the plants. I think that's how I first got introduced to, you know, Damon her and Tigria. Uh, so when I first heard the music of the plants, um, you know, sometimes we have these life changing experiences and that's the only way that I can describe it. That music just touched something in me that I really couldn't put words to. And I knew I had to change it with the world and not change it with the world, but rather uh, share it with the world. And um, being a writer, I thought I would write a children's book, something that I'd never done before. Um, so I am honored to say that I am the author of the very first children's book on the music of the plants, introducing the device to children. Um, and I am looking to expand that into educating children on what nature has to teach us. So I'm looking forward to that journey. I love it. It's, it's funny. You're the, you're the second person that I know that has done such a dramatic shift in their career. Like I, this other friend of mine was a, a nuclear physicist who went to writing and you as like, you know, wholesale banking to writing. It really is just amazing to think of exactly how much we can change our lives with absolute intention and will and just say, you know what, this world is not working for me. I need to find the world that's going to work for me. And I've, I've always admired that about you. So here's a, here's a question that I have. So we talked about invasive versus naturalized. So you didn't talk about this before. Tell everybody your background because Go sign Meru just doesn't sound American, but it's also not a, your accent's not Indian. Like, come on, walk us through it. 
Because there's a piece, okay, there's so a piece in the middle there people are not going to expect. Okay. <laughs> I don't know which piece, but we'll go. Um, so I was born in the Caribbean. I'm a child of the Caribbean on the beautiful island of Trinidad. And I spent uh, my early years there. And then I moved to London, where I worked in wholesale banking. And then I moved to Florida. So I've been here in Florida for uh, 10 years now. So, you know, that's where I think um, my insights into being an invasive or a naturalized species comes in. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, having lived the majority of my life um, outside of the place that I was born, but yet having that strong affinity and that sense of being rooted um, in a beautiful tropical island. Absolutely. And, and you're just out of curiosity, because I've never asked you this before, but are your parents originally from Trinidad or? Yes, my, um, I am actually third generation, um, you know, of my family in Trinidad. So my great grandparents are the ones who would have moved from India. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah, which is similar to myself in that aspect. I mean, my mother, we we actually still don't have exactly what generation moved from Spain to Cuba. So we know mm -hmm. that um, it happened somewhere in either my mother is third generation um, Cuban or it's possible it's second. It's still very confusing because it's, you know, similar to island nations have this thing of like records we have them but you know maybe sometimes i mean my mother still doesn't even have a birth certificate all she has is her baptism certificate which is funny because my mother was born with her, with one name and one letter of her name was taken out by the time she was baptized and nobody noticed my grandmother didn't notice so my mother's name is technically different from what my grandmother named her by one letter which is hysterical um, in that aspect. So, and I understand that like the idea of that generational switch of, of growing up in a place and then moving to another place and then rooting yourself there. I mean, you lived, how long did you live in, in London? 23 years. Uh, 23 years to then switch and go to the United States again. So you have this kind of complete yeah. cultural shift that happens. Did you, you know, going back, one of the big discussions we have when we talk about invasive versus naturalized is the fact that obviously, let's just take from Trinidad to London, most importantly, because similar to ourselves, you know, you're also in South Florida. So I know you understand the plight of the Cubans very well because you live amongst them in some ways. And so you know that in, in Miami in particular, I know you're in West Palm Beach, but in Miami in particular, I mean, we recreated... Cuba in a lot of aspects. I mean, when we moved into the United States, it wasn't with the intention of like neither transforming the United States into Cuba, but it wasn't with the idea of hiding our Cubanness either. And so Miami is this very unique culture that was able to sort of hybridize, to create this hybridized culture. Did you find when you went from Trinidad 
to the United to um, to London. How did your family adapt to like cultures and norms? Did you feel yourself more invasive in the sense of I'm gonna I'm gonna just be what I want to be and I'm gonna take over, or did you find yourself that you completely naturalized forgetting yourself? I mean, what was that shift like for you? It was a difficult um, a difficult transition in some ways. Uh, it was a huge culture shock, as you can imagine. Um, it was, yeah, it was strange. And I remember missing home terribly, terribly, terribly. And I guess the weather has a lot to do with it. Oh, right? yeah. Um, <laughs> but one of the fortunate things, I think, was that my husband had very, very close friends. My husband is also from Trinidad. And he moved uh, to London when he was quite young, when he was still a teenager. But he had some very, very close friends, some of them West Indian, but most of them Indian, people who had grown up in India or East Africa and who had then come to England themselves. Uh, And they have a very close-knit community. And they were very, very welcoming to me. But again, you know, there were pros and cons with this because... Indian, yes, but very, very different to the culture that I was brought up in in Trinidad, because Trinidad is a very multicultural society. Um, You know, every religious holiday from every culture is a national holiday, whereas in England, of course, it's not like that. And different cultures have their own little world that they exist in. And so I found myself, this child of the Caribbean, coming to London, out of place in English culture, out of place in Indian culture, and having to maintain a sense of identity within all of that, I think, gave me an opportunity for growth, an opportunity to develop exactly who Nandini is, you know? I did not lose myself in any of the things that surrounded me. I maintained my identity. I find, you know, I I have seen many people who go into a different culture and because they're immersed in that culture, they become that culture. But I was able to coexist harmoniously but looking back this is not something i've ever really thought of before but now as you bring it up i'm I'm realizing that i never really lost who i was that trinidadian girl you know from the island of sunshine and sea which is huge to be able to say because i i remember i went um, I went to the university with somebody who was, she was from Barba- Barbados. I think she was from Barbados. Yeah. And she was white from Barbados. So a lot of people almost didn't recognize the fact that she was Barbados from Barba- Barbadian. Barbadian? I'm, I'm, yes, thank Barbadian. you. I was like, for a minute, I just blanked. So people didn't <laughs> recognize it. And even though we were in South Florida, right? So we're in Miami. It's beautiful. It's sunshine. The weather is very similar. We have a lot of characteristics that are very similar. I remember watching her and I mean, I knew where she was from. I knew what her roots were. But at the same time, I felt like 
it was almost expected of her to be more, she didn't even look, she didn't look like us. So she didn't look Hispanic or she didn't look like she was Cuban or anything like that. She was literally looked like she could be, you know, I don't know, Dutch or, or Norwegian or something. She was very pale. And, and so I think there was this sort of expectation on her, even in a place like Miami, which is very culturally abound and lots of understanding, she had to almost be vocal about who she was in order for her not to be sort of stereotyped into something else. And so, I mean, I, I can almost assume that being for you being in London, um, it must have been challenging because they might have just put you into the category of, oh, she's Indian. I mean, it's so easy yes. to be Indian. I had that yeah, all the time. And people would say to me, this is hilarious, but this was actually said to me when I started working in London. People said to me, but you speak English so well. <laughs> Because, you know, here is this person with an Indian name, as Indian as you can get, and, you know, speaking English, according to them, very well, when this was not something they were used to, because the Indians, of course, who came from India and East Africa would have that very strong accent. And then the Indians who were actually born in England, in London, they had a particular way of speaking that you would know that, the, like if you heard them on the radio, you would know that that was an Indian person, somebody born in right. England, but of Indian origin. And I was completely different. You know, here was this person who looked Indian, had an Indian name, did not sound Indian, did not act Indian, did not what they associated as Indian, you know. Um, and even being exposed to that culture, I was not embraced in, you know, to say like, okay, you're one of us. It was never like that. I was always very, very different because I had a different outlook on the world. I did not act in the way that they expected Indian women to act, you know, so it was a little challenging in that respect, but I, I guess there was always a part of me that was I am who I am and this is me and I'm not changing, you know, in not to say that I am doing any harm to anyone, but I am retaining my own identity. So I'm going to throw a, a plant analogy over that. And then, and then I am going to shift at some point over to our next transition to the next country, because I, I feel like there is a big difference that happens between these two. But bear with me for a second. If you think about yourself as the, the ecosystem that you created, right? By the way that you're saying, you're like, I retained my characteristics, even though I was in a different environment. An environment that in a lot of ways is very, like, like it was very different. I mean, it was different uh, geographically. In other words, like the weather and the, 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 the entire way of living is very different from an island nation. And then on top of that, you have all of these other kinds of expectations set on you because of maybe the way you look or, you know, what, what the culture thinks that you're supposed to be. If you think about it as an ecosystem, what do you think it was that allowed you what aspects of you were able to thrive in that while maintaining? 
where what were the aspects that you felt like you had to adapt and that, you know, if walk me through what you think was a good adaptation versus an adaptation that now looking at in hindsight, if you had to give advice to a younger generation, you'd be like, look, this is how you become part and naturalized into your environment, in particular, that kind of shift. But these are those things that are like true to your core essence and that don't let go of those. Like that's, that's not being, you know, a, a good naturalized citizen. That's just losing yourself. Mm. I, well, funnily enough, one of the things that I had to change very, very quickly when I got to England was how quickly I spoke. I mean, you know how quickly we speak in the Caribbean, right? Um, so I had people looking at me and you know what the English are like, or so polite and, I would say something and the person would just be looking at me. <laughs> you know, I was in the Caribbean, you, you know, you would say, what was that? What did you say? Um, you know, they would just sit there and look and then you realize, oh, they didn't understand. So I really had to slow down. So that was one big change that I had to make. One thing that I realized about English culture is how closed it is and how not very open um they are to different cultures it's just the way it is not a criticism it's just the way it is um and coming from an island nation where you know what it's like in the caribbean somebody comes to your island and you're all smiles and open arms and full of love and here have our food have a drink you know come come in line you know that kind of thing right um um so i guess in the beginning being such an anomaly um, to people's minds, but while retaining my, my, I, what is the correct word? My sunshiny nature, despite my very reserved and introverted nature, you know, as soon as when people began to know me, they realized that I was very warm and friendly. Um, and I think in retaining that, I did not become a reflection of the cold English weather, <laughs> which was which was a good thing. And I would advise that, you know, I would give that advice to anybody else who goes into a culture like that. Yes, you have to understand um, the history of why this culture is the way it is. And yes, you in in understanding that, in understanding the history, you are then able to say, well, look, okay, I understand why this is the way it is, but I will not become like that. I will not meet those expectations. I will retain the part of me that is different while I can. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot, for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. for you. And I feel like that's the true answer around naturalized versus invasive. I feel like invasive species in general, whether we're talking about a plant species or we're talking about humans, are those that go to 
modify the society, but from the perspective of there's something wrong here, so I need to take it over. And, and even as I think about myself, like, um, you know, growing up in Miami and, and like I said, Miami has this hybrid culture, like there's a lot. If I look at the difference between how I grew up and how it is now, when I go back, it's very different where when I was growing up, sure, there were those places where you went and everybody just spoke Spanish. I mean, you couldn't go to Sedanos and have a conversation in English, but there was an understanding. And even when I have conversations with my mother, there's certain pieces of our conversations that are always in English because it's an understanding that we live in the United States, you know, that we were there and that this is the United States where today, I think some of that is getting lost from, I pardon me for saying this, whomever is listening to me, please take this with the love of the fact that I am what I am about to say. Like I embody those cultures, but I feel like, where the Cuban culture very much wanted a naturalization that took the best of both worlds. And I don't just say that because I'm Cuban. I mean, there's lots of research around that, around the idea that Cuban's one of the fastest adapting um, uh, adapting uh, cultures into the United States. I mean, we adapted in the sense of going into politics and going into other uh, forms of government and business and such like that. And we looked for a very hybrid approach. Um, the idea of how do I create almost cultivars that have the best of all of these worlds put together where I find when I go now, which has a much more South American feel, it's much more turning into South America. There's, you know, less and less English being spoken more and more of, of a, of a somewhat invasive feeling, not because I feel like people are, um, I don't even think it's coming out of a fear of like losing your culture where I saw that happen when I was living in Spain with the Catalan since I was in uh, the Catalunya, I felt like there was a lot of grasping at Catalunya um, culture without trying to introduce traditional Spanish culture because there was fear of losing it. I don't feel like that's what it's coming from. I feel like it's coming from a little bit more the way the culture is there in South America, where it's like, well, we just continue to do what we've always done. And so therefore, when I move to the United States, I keep doing what I've always done, which is, I think, very different from other kinds of Caribbean, as well as even um, Central and South American cultures like Mexican culture and stuff, which is a much more like I'm going to get into it type of thing. So I find that really interesting. And, and I think that that to me has been a better understanding of how to deal with invasive species, even in my garden, and to look at those invasive species as like, what are the lessons there that I could learn to better help me be um, naturalized, but without losing my nature, my nature, you know, without losing my color. So here's a really interesting question for, for you. I don't know about you, but so I went from obviously, you know, Cuban, Miami to Seattle, which is still the United States, but I sort of, my Cubanness almost didn't matter when I was in the United States because I don't present as being, you know, like Hispanic. And so I think a lot of people just almost didn't realize it. And, and so I just fell into the rhythm of English and I became almost lost a little bit my nature, but not because anybody sort of imposed that on me. Instead, when I came to Italy, I'm going to skip Spain for right now, just because Spanish culture is very similar to Cuban culture. So there's a lot of aspects of it that didn't, that this question didn't come into being. But when I came to, to Italy, I found there a very strong culture that looked at me as an invasive species. 
like absolutely looked at me as an invasive species and therefore was like, you shall conform to what we are doing without them even realizing. It's almost like there's no opening for a hybridization of any sort. There was very much a controlling type of thing. I'm going to ask a weird question because I don't think it's expected, but did you find South Florida be somewhat the same in the sense that I mean, South Florida has so much of its own culture. I know that you're a little farther north, so it's slightly different from like Miami, but it does have its own color. And while there's a lot of acceptance for the idea of lots of different cultures, I find that sometimes without even realizing, it pushes out those cultures. Did you find it easier or harder to express yourself when you came into you, when you finally got to the United States and were, you know, inside and immersed in that culture? I think, um, strangely, for me, weather plays such an important mm. role in how I, how I am, you know, how much I can be who I really am. And the weather here being more like what I grew up with, I felt so much more at home. I was very, very fortunate in that I, you know, I have lovely, lovely neighbors who are very, very accepting um very open-minded which i was very grateful for other people i can see who are like um because i think that my husband and i are the very first foreigners to live on this no way incredible to think just as a note nandini lives in palm beach county right no, not yes. the same as Dade County and, you know, yes. Fort Lauderdale yes. or nothing like that. Exactly. <laughs> yes. so I'm, I'm in Palm Beach Gardens. I mean, which you do have uh, foreigners, but, you know, I guess there are little pockets, right? Um, so I think we are the first foreigners on this street. And while I'm very, very grateful for, you know, the neighbors who are very open-minded, very welcoming, I did notice that there were others who cautious, you know, this is not something that we are used to. Who are these people? What are they going to be like? Which is natural. You know, I understand that. Um, But I think here has been, from what I have seen, the atmosphere, the culture is a little more accepting and open I mean, in England, you do have, um, you know, where foreigners are able to express their own culture. So you could have your own kind of church, you know, your own kind of restaurants or whatever. But there's a, I don't know, there's a little more frisson, if that's the word. Um, I think, I think here is a little more accepting. But this, you know, I, I see a trend across the world. And I think where people are like, okay, we've tried to open our arms to different cultures, but it's not working. So we're going to close back in. And I think that has really recently happened in some Scandinavian countries, you know, and I think this is where you have certain cultures who are not willing to adapt, who are not willing to become part of the new society that they have chosen to put themselves in. Um, And I think that's a huge danger for us as a collective, as humans on this one home that we have. 
And, you know, this whole thing about invasive and naturalized, I've been thinking of, okay, we are all humans on this one home that we have. Borders are man-made, you know, we've created these borders ourselves. Um, we come from different cultures, which are very rich in their own right. And yes, we want to retain those cultures, but how do we coexist? How do we live harmoniously where we can respect each other and each other's cultures and give each other the space that we need to exist as individuals, as individual communities, as individual cultures, but yet as a collective? And it, I think it comes down to just respect, you know, and as long as I do not expect you to live the way that I live and follow the customs that I follow, so you respect my customs as long as I'm not causing you any harm, and likewise, I respect your customs, I think that's the only way that we could continue to coexist now that you know you have movements of people across the world you know i think it's just very very unfortunate if anybody were to go into a new environment and say i demand this i need this environment to be the way that i want it to be and and i think this is where you know i have often thought like what happens will we get to a point where humanity will be so mixed that so, all of these concepts that we have won't exist but then again going back to your your accurate statement around man-made borders the difference between natural borders and human-made borders is their rigidity the fact that if you look around the world, we have so many different types of ecosystems, right? Tundras are different from temperate forests, are different from rainforests, are different from, you know, many different aspects of, of deserts and such. These all exist in pockets around the world, but their lines, right, are fluid. In other words, where they begin and where they, they stop are is very fluid based on the ecotone, the space between one ecosystem and another that gets created. And sometimes those ecotones are made out of oceans. Sometimes those ecotones are made out of other things, but they over time shift. And I think that that's what allows a species to go from native to probably non-native, even from a natural perspective, right? I could be a a seed coming from a massive tree that then gets blown off, right? We say that that pine trees, for example, are are moving higher and higher in order to, you know, get away from some of the heat. Or we have other kinds of plants that, because of the migration of animals, have moved very far from where their original, where they originally started to grow. Ginkgo biloba is known to have gone all over the planet, following animals and other kinds of different migrations, right? So these plants are are non-natives, quote unquote, that show up into other environments and then adapt into that environment. And, and in some cases, of course, they strangle out other things. That does happen. But more likely than not, 
a different type of ecosystem starts to move and flourish from that union of these non-native species to a native environment when it happens in a natural progression, right? Maybe one generation might die out, another generation might start to live, but it can't reproduce. Then over time, it will start to adapt better and better in order to be able to reproduce. And we have this fluidity where the ecosystems grow and shrink and move in different ways in order to adapt in the best way possible to the species. But it doesn't mean we've stopped having tons and tons of species. We have lots of species that have cross-pollinated and mixed and created new species. But the And the old species, some of them do die out, but some of them also are born and that are new. So we have this fluidity that happens. And I feel like when we start to talk about these matters, the fear that many people have to the idea of, oh, you're invading my space, so you must be an invasive rather than just a non-native that can become hybridized or can become naturalized to the environment comes from a, a, a fear that is not based on the reality of the world, right? It's not, on the, the natural environment can, can shows us completely different things, but it's based off of this fear because we have this rigidity. We have this rigidity of these borders that this is the line between this country and this country. And therefore, since that can't move and be fluid, we're going to create this situation where we have to have it, you know, we have to have rules and we have to have these separations and we have to have all these problems. And I think that that is what tips the scale between a conversation of non-native adaptations to invasiveness, because at that point you feel non grata, you feel like, you know, you're not wanted in this. And so you push for more and more space because you're, you're fearful or you get pushed out of more, you know, the space because of that. I, I found personally, as much as I love Italy and I love living in Italy and I feel very privileged to be in Domenher because, you know, it is different in a lot of actual ways. There is sort of this culture of, of pushing, of keeping you sort of contained a little bit inadvertently. The borders are, are, are get tight around you and there's not a lot of flexibility to easily adapting and adopting other kinds of understandings. And like you said, that idea that I could have lots of different religions and lots of different um, customs that get accepted and embraced even, you know, where for me growing up in Miami and was super easy to have the whole like, okay, Christmas in my family, it was Christmas Eve was Cuban style, Noche Buena and Q and Christmas day um, was done American style or these types of other kind of even holidays that were very similar, like Thanksgiving is American. It's primarily American. I can introduce Cuban food every once in a while, but it's more of a fun fluke. It's not because I actually think that that's the way the holiday should be spent. It's because I want to enjoy it and I want to play with it and it's playful and it's fun. And it's to me, the great example of the naturalized, like I'm going to play with my things without ever losing the values that are deep inside. So I think when we start to be really fearful of the idea of an invasive species or of a non-native becoming invasive, I think we need to look at the natural environment and say, when we have natural evolution and natural migration, what happens? What does that look like? And oftentimes, 
it looks like fluidity. It looks like change. It looks like evolution. Mm -hmm. And I think that that could help us better understand our own roles. I mean, I think of this a lot, like what is my role here, both in Dominher as a Dominherian, but also as a Cuban, as an American, because I am both of those, as well as I'm Italian. I have now all three. What is my role? Where do I introduce which culture so that it's, Mm, it's an enhancement rather than being a detriment. Where does it nourish rather than deplete the soil? And when do I consciously pull that out sometimes in order to create more space, in order to create more, um, to create more understanding and reciprocity? And when instead is it better for me to keep it inside as something that's mine and personal and allow the existing culture or the existing experience to, to play out? Your, um, you know, you mentioned the pine cone going higher and higher to escape the rising temperatures. And that made me think, you know, of the climate change that we're facing right now and the islands that, you know, they know that they're going to be swallowed up by the ocean unless you know drastic changes are made and you have coastal you know populations who you know their future is just so uncertain and you know coming back to the man-made borders that we have and thinking of ourselves as one as one humanity on this one home that we have you know like i keep repeating that to myself it's like we just have this one home and, you know, why can't we just live um, as one, which is what we are. So if climate is going to have this huge impact on where people can live and how they can live, how are the rest of us expected to respond to that? What do we say? Do we say um, that's not my problem? Or do we say we are humans, we have our humanity and we have to look after each other? And how do we do that in a way that, you know, as you say, coming from these different cultures and you're looking, how can I enrich my environment? You know, so you may be looking at it from that perspective, but if you find yourself in an environment that is not open to any enrichment that you could possibly bring. So you have this clash, right? That is not going to work. So for whatever reasons, you know, fate is what I believe it was fate that just carried me from one country to another and then another. And who knows if I would continue to live here or if I go somewhere else, you know, I, I can't be privy to that knowledge now. And it's like, what are the fates of the peoples who through no fault of their own are being displaced and have to move and how will they be received you know i think this is something that we need to really think about on a collective level rather than an individual level and not thinking well not in my backyard no i do not want this you know there's nobody's backyard it's this is everybody's backyard 
you know, it's it's not an easy, easy thing to talk about because people just don't want to confront that. Yeah, it's absolutely not. It, it's very similar to the discussion that you sometimes hear about, you know, preservation versus conservation, right? When do I preserve something in exactly the way that it is today versus when do I conserve and ensure that it continues to evolve? And the truth of the matter is, is that the planet evolves, right? Even everything that's happening in the climate accelerated or not, you know, and, and I, it doesn't mean that we don't have to change, but it means that we need to learn how to adapt and we need to start that adaptation process by understanding it from a cultural perspective as well. We can learn so much by looking not just at the local ecosystem in which you live in, but understanding the history of your ecosystem, where I learned, where I, I grew up or where I'm currently living. If you go back in time and follow the history of how that land has changed, even pre our industrial age, right? Go, go beyond that so that you can better understand. Um, one of the things that I, I uh, one of the activities that I do when I teach communication with the plant world, that course is um, an activity about talking to a tree specifically about the distant past, you know, 10,000 years ago, a thousand years ago, 50,000 years ago. There's a whole dynamic and an activity of how to do this. But what I love about doing this is that it helps me better understand adaptation. It helps me better understand when is it better to root in place. In other words, for me to preserve almost aspects of myself versus when is it better for me to conserve certain pieces in maybe memory and allow them to evolve into something new. These questions, I think, are the kinds of questions we should be asking ourselves much more, which is what I love about the naturally conscious community is that we have this space, this safe place to explore these topics of understanding ourselves, not just in the here and now, but in the, like you said, we're one planet, it's constantly changed over time. How have the different species been evolving with that? And how have we continuously made up a new environment as we go? I mean, none of our countries that we currently live in would exist at all if people hadn't migrated all over the planet, right? None of these ecosystems would have existed if the animals and the flora didn't move from one place to another, if bacteria didn't cultivate new things, if moss didn't break down existing rock, if deep time didn't go deep into you know, the underground. All of these things are made from movement. And so I think that this is, if we start to really focus more on a, on a understanding our fluidity as a, as a timeless being, let's say it that way, and then I think it might be easier for us to better understand what kind of current ecosystem member I want to be and how do I want to look. Yeah, and if we think of ourselves as evolving, okay, because humans tend to think, okay, evolution was something that happened up until this time. We don't acknowledge that we're continuing to evolve. And with climate change, with, you know, and we see this evolution around us all the time, but we're so blind to it. What if we're being pushed, and you mentioned this earlier about, you know, so much mixture that is happening in the world now. What are we evolving to? Are we evolving from separateness to one you know we don't have the answer to that but it's an intriguing question and how how do we move towards that in a in a harmonious way and in a peaceful way um and it's by acceptance and it's by 
um, not wanting to impose any of our customs on anyone else, but at the same time, being comfortable in a space that is open to those customs. Makes it sense. makes perfect sense. And I think that that's the perfect place for us to, you know, leave this conversation because I think you opened up a great conversation piece that I think we could go even deeper in, in the naturally conscious community, which is what are we evolving to? And to understand what are we evolving to, we need to understand where we've evolved from and understand ourselves. And I think I often, I often, um, I often talk about the fact that in order for you to easily change, you have to be super comfortable with who you are today. Because when you are so comfortable with who you are, you can see the advantages of changing or evolving into something else. Rather than if you're in a space where you're completely like in fear or in in kind of limiting beliefs or in all these other aspects, then you you sort of lock yourself in place because that's what you know and you you just you think you can perfect. But perfecting who you are means evolving. It means changing. It means moving into different places. So I love this question of what are we evolving to? And and if we allow our understanding of ecosystem growth and the fact that we are both native species somewhere, but also invasive species somewhere, and that we're constantly sort of flowing through this, I think that that's an excellent way of understanding ourselves in order to more naturally and easily and confidently even allow yourself to flow into that evolution, to trust yourself in the decisions that you're making so that you can flow better. Nandini, I have loved this conversation so much. It's such a pleasure after so many years that we've known each other, that you've been a part of our community to get deeper into these little pockets of, of wisdom that you hold. And it's been such a blessing for me to watch your continued evolution from, you know, the person that you were when we first met way back when about talking about the music of the plants to an author and somebody who is working so closely with children to help them better understand their own true nature and the natural world around them. Thank you so much for what you do. And thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. So I will also be placing in the show notes all kinds of information about Nandini, about her website, her book. If you have children in your life, please, please go and check out this book. This is such a wonderful way to connect children to what is the beauty of the world around them, to help them understand that there's more than just the visible world that they see today, but that blind, plant blindness has held them back from seeing so much more. And so I'll put into the show notes all the information about Nandini and about The Music of the Plants, one of our eco-conscious business partners. So go and check out The Music of the Plants and check out Nandi and The Music of the Plants. Thanks for listening to this episode of Reconnect with Plant Wisdom. Intro and outro music by Steve Shuley and Poinsettia from The Singing Life of Plants. So join me, Tigrila Gardenia, and my plant collaborators next time on Reconnect with Plant Wisdom.